Good morning. You know, uh, here we are again on a Sunday morning. I hope it's a beautiful day outside. I expect it to be a beautiful day no matter what the weather is. We are up. We are worshiping the Lord this morning. We have had some great worship music. We are here today to glorify Him. And uh, still missing you guys. Still don't like preaching to a lens. Uh, but hopefully that's changing very soon. Be in prayer as we look for our way forward and how to do the things we need to do to get back together. Pray deeply for the leadership, for me and for the deacons, for others who, who have a say in how we do this, that we can uh, make the decisions that would honor God, protect His people, and allow us to come together once again uh, to worship Him. You know, I've read over the years that the number one nightmare has to do with nakedness. Um, we, we, we dream or we have nightmares about being naked at work, being naked at school, being naked in public. There's just this, this idea of nakedness. Uh, you know, it's the, the fear of, of people seeing things that they shouldn't see. The fear of being caught literally with your pants down. Uh, you know, in Genesis 3 even, what the, the first couple was concerned with was what? Nakedness. They were concerned that they would be found naked uh, by God. Um, being bare in front of others, uh, especially when things that aren't hidden that should be hidden. Those are the times that, that make us very very nervous. And we continue our series this week in God Created Woman, the, the great and not so great women of the Bible. Um, and we talk about a woman who overcomes such a fear. Not literal nakedness, but the idea of being bare in front of someone else. The idea of taking those things which we have hidden and completely exposing those uh, so that others may see that. And so um, her story comes at the end of the time of the judges. Uh, you know, at the end of the book of Judges, we have all the things that have happened. All the judges have come up on the land. And uh, we find her there in the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. And so we're going to turn there this morning. And as I read that, uh, it's a very familiar story to a lot of us. But let us hear today 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And it says, There was a man from Ramathaim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Alihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up with, from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Whenever she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way every year. Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah asked. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. 
Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle, and deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, the Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine! No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've, I've been pouring my heart out before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested from him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, we... We ask that you would use me as a vessel, and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, you are an awesome God. We praise you for loving us, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. You know, this is just an amazing story when you when you dig into it. You know, you have Elkanah, the husband, and he has two wives. Hannah, whose name means woman of grace, and Peninnah, most, most texts and scholars would think that her name means pearl. Uh, so here you have her. Hannah is the first wife. She's the wife of choice, the wife of love, if you would. And she's childless. Peninnah is the second wife. She's the consolation prize, but she has children. Um, when you get to the account of Hannah's life, it's told with this great connection to the story of the patriarchs uh, in, in the beginning books, the, the Pentateuch. Uh, the first five books of your Old Testament. And there's this connection here with these other mothers of the faith, these other women, these, these female patriarchs, or matriarchs, should I say. Um, and so there's this idea here that, that God is again making a great move. There's this idea that, that something is fixing to happen. There's this connection that, that you read of between the, the pain and the struggle and the agony of the childless woman. And there's also this connection to a possible hopeful, happy ending to the story. So, so as we read this, this heartbreaking account, if we're an Israelite, if we're a Jewish reader, and remember, this was originally written for Jewish readers. If you're a Jewish reader, your mind is automatically going to go, oh, she sounds like Sarah. She sounds like Rachel. She sounds like the other matriarchs of the faith. There's a connection here. She's going. You're going to start making these connections as an Israelite. So Elkanah obviously is a good man. He he's a God-fearing man. Year after year, he takes his whole family with him to Jerusalem to worship God or to Shiloh. At this point, it's not Jerusalem. To Shiloh to worship God, and so he goes every year to do what needs to be done, and. He would come and he would sacrifice and he would give his grain offerings and his meat offerings and his other offerings. And part of the offering, if you've been following along with our morning Bible readings, you know that part of the offering is to be eaten there 
in the sanctuary as a celebration meal. So, so you give the fat and you give the things you're supposed to give to the priests and they make through your offering for you, they offer it before the Lord and they give you back the portion you're to take and you're to eat it there in the presence of the altar as, as a feast of celebration, a, a feast of thankfulness. And so meat, honestly, was probably a rarity in their diet. Uh, you know, it was, this might have been one of those things where meat they ate once a year at sacrifice. We don't know really, but it was probably more rare for them to have meat because meat was something that was a precious commodity. And, and meat usually would be divided to the women according to their number of children. So it would be expected that Hannah would get very little because she had no children, whereas Peninnah would get much because she had sons and she had daughters and so you would expect that but the husband gives a double portion to Hannah because he loves her now we have a picture here of God who through his great love bestows upon us this double portion because he loves us we don't deserve it there's nothing that we can do to make it ours but God still gives it to us. And I would, be, I would be negligent if I didn't point out this picture of God's grace here. But our whole series is about what we can learn from the women. So I don't want to have a picture of Elkanah as, as the husband being our servant today. I wanted to point out the picture of grace because I felt it is so important. But our sermon is about the woman. Our sermon is about what can we learn from her. And the first thing we can learn from her comes off of this gift of Elkanah. And that's that sometimes the greater blessings of God remind us of our failures and our shortcomings. Elkanah meant this gift as a blessing, as an expression of love. He said, I love Hannah. I want to give her a double portion. I want to make sure she knows that she is special and she is treasured and she is someone who is who is worthy and she is set apart. I want her to know that. I want her to understand that. And he gave this to her. And it was the greater blessing. But it simply reminded Hannah of her failure, of her ability or inability to have children. You know, it's, I'm getting a double blessing. I don't have any kids. This goes to her because she has kids. She has kids. I have none. And I know you love me, but that just shows me my guilt because you're giving it to me out of pity. And so there, there's this double portion meant for someone else, but it's given to me. And, and, and it only brings me to this point where I understand that I'm a failure at the one thing I'm supposed to be good at. It's amazing how much men don't understand this. How many women go through this season of their life because they feel like there is one thing they should be able to do and so many women can't. Hannah is here as one of those women. She can't. And this greater blessing that has come from her husband just reminds her of her failure. Sometimes the greater blessings that come from God remind us of our failures, remind us where, where we can't. And it's not that it's not a blessing, and it's not that God meant it to remind us of our failures, but it just happens to do that. You know, without the curses, the blessings don't mean as much. Without having bad things happen, the good things don't mean as much. You know, it's so easy when I watch someone who's never had anything bad happen in their life, and, and they live their life, and, and, and you wonder why when they have great things happen that I would be jumping for joy over, they just kind of go, eh. 
Nothing bad's ever happened. But when the bad things come, it reminds you of the, it reminds you and it makes you appreciative of the good things. And so what you see here is when there's sometimes there's a greater blessing, it reminds us of our failures. You know, when when God gives you a blessing that directly relates to a sin in your life, when you are blessed for some, blessed in some way that reminds you of how you fell in the past, you know, that's that's a tool of the devil, but it happens. And so we have to be on guard against that. The reason this point is important is we have to be on guard against the trick of the devil. And the trick of the devil is to remind us of who we used to be. And so for Hannah, this was a present reality. She didn't have any kids. Her husband wanted to bless her. He wanted to love her. He gave her a double portion, and it reminded her of her failure. But the truth is, and the second truth we see from Hannah here is that even in the curses, we find blessings. Now, why do I say in the curses? There's a phrase in verse 5 here and in, in, in the following verse that only seems to be found in this one point uh, in, in, in the, the whole Bible. Uh, it's the only time it's used to speak of God's people. And it's a phrase that basically says, in the, because the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord had closed her womb. The Lord did this. Um, that's hard to swallow. That's hard for me to swallow. Uh, when you go through carrying my past and, and the loss of those kids and, and the things that have happened and, and that 10 years where we didn't have any kids and, and Carrie very much identifying with Hannah here and, and understanding this, that was hard. So when I read that it says the Lord closed her womb, I don't know how to handle that sometimes. But it says the Lord did this. So there's a purpose here to the situation that she finds herself in. You know, God commanded us to be fruitful. That's what he says over in the book of Genesis. He puts the man and the woman in the garden. He says, be fruitful and multiply. So the same God that says, be fruitful and multiply, closes this womb. And it seems to be an oxymoron. It seems to be something that makes us go, this doesn't make sense. That can't be the same God. But it is the same God. Now, what could be his purpose? We may never know his true purpose. Maybe he wanted us to draw more of a parallel. Maybe he did for the sake of us knowing and understanding. Maybe, you know, it was that he wanted her rival to taunt her. You know, Israel is always tormented before being rescued. If you read throughout the Old Testament, what would happen? Israel would be tormented, they would be tormented, they would be tormented, and then they're rescued. They call out to God and they are rescued. And maybe this was simply that God wanted to grow her faith. We may not know. But we do know that sometimes the curses, we find blessings. Even those curses, we can find blessings. You know, for sure there had to be a purpose to what God was doing. We're, we are promised in Scripture that He works through all things for the good of those who love Him, right? So curses will always have blessings with it. The curses will be, will be tinged a little bit. You know, uh, there's a story called Blessings by... by by Laura Story, I think she was saying that. And it was one of Carrie's favorite songs for a while. And what does it say? You know, it talks about our our curses or our blessings coming through those things that look like curses. Um, so for us, there's always a purpose to the trials that we experience. And hindsight's always 2020. You know, when we're going through something, we don't understand why we're going through it. Hannah's going through this thing that God has given her. God has closed her womb, and she is going through this. She doesn't know why. She doesn't understand why. She doesn't get it. You know, why would God do this to me? But now she can look back after it happens and see the blessings that God brings. 
we have gone through the same thing. There have been times where we look and we go, God, what in the world? Why am I having to go through this? And in the midst of it, I can't see and I can't know. But I can look back and I can see how God has used those situations for His glory. When I talk about, you know, two miscarriages, losing my mom, all the things that we have gone through, it informs who I am as a pastor and as a believer. It, it allows me to have something that, that, that connects me with other people that might not connect someone else. And it directly is being used by God in so many various ways. And that's just such a blessing. And so we can look back and see, during the middle of the trials, during the middle of the curses, yeah, we're going to be crying out saying, God, I don't understand. But hindsight, we can see that the blessings were there. I mean, look what this curse made for Hannah. Look what it did for her. You know, she is honestly the most pious one in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament in its entirety, the, she's the only woman that's ever to be said of her that she was going up to God's house. She left the meal and she went up to God's house and she made it and kept a vow. That's the only woman we really ever see make and keep a vow in the Old Testament. It's the only woman we ever see in the Old Testament who was specifically said to pray and were told what was in her prayer. Hannah is this character that is so amazing because she has the longest prayer we see of, of, of anybody, of any woman in the Old Testament. And then her song of, of gratitude later. You know, she utters the name of, of Yahweh, the uh, name of God, more than any other woman in the Old Testament. You know, this is, this is who Hannah is. And she's made because of this. Her rival wife, man, Hannah would cry and not eat out of blessing. You ever been so upset you couldn't eat? You ever been so upset and tired and just you can't, had enough and I can't eat it? Her husband gave her a double portion and she was just beside herself. She couldn't even eat it. No, I don't want it. I can't have it. I need time alone. And it doesn't help that the other one over here is going, <laughs> I've got kids. I'm the one with honor. And that man, her husband says, why are you crying? Why are you despondent? Why are you beside yourself? Am I not better than ten sons? Now, you know, in theory, that's great, guys. You know, husbands and boyfriends, whoever, that's a great thought. But a husband and a child isn't the same. We may act like it sometimes. We may be the third or fourth or tenth child or whatever it is. We may act like children sometimes. And the relationship lines might get blurred sometimes. But it's not the same. And so, when he says this, it shows a lack of understanding on his part. And so, here she is upset she's done you know it's the same thing with Jacob and Rachel right you know Rachel she wanted kids Jacob loved her he loved her immensely and then he gets tricked into marrying her sister and then he finally gets to marry her and she's the last one to have any kids out of out of her and her sister and their handmaiden she's the absolute last so Hannah is drawing on all these stories and you see all these things but Hannah improves on the old narrative. When you have Jacob and Rachel and Leah and their handmaidens, this story goes on. But Hannah takes that old story and she improves on this narrative. She, instead of getting upset and says, well, here, take my handmaiden, she says, let me go to God with my issue. 
And she goes to God with her issue. She didn't devise her own way. She said, she, I'm going to go to God. And she said it went to her in bitterness of soul. That's a phrase used to describe these moments in the Bible where, where someone has lost a child. Ruth. You know, she's lost her children. She's lost her husband. Elisha is bitter. Elijah is bitter. Whenever all the things are, are coming together. And so... We find her and she goes and she talks to God. And we find out some things about what happens when, when Hannah talks to God. And the first is, when we lay ourselves bare before God, He answers our prayers. Man, she cried out. She left it all on the table. She left it all there. It was all there. It was done. That's what it was. I'm leaving it here, God. She knelt down and she cried out for deliverance. She said, God, I need you to do this. I'm suffering. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who knows this is going on. God, please, please, please. It was a personal cry to a powerful God. If you only pray in church, chances are you've never truly been bare before God. If you only pray when someone else is leading you in prayer, chances are you've never been bare before God. Hannah doesn't really care. She's talking to God. She's making a scene. She is falling down beside the place there in Shiloh. She is crying out to God. She's praying silently. And Eli looks over and goes, She's drunk. Shame on you, young woman. Get rid of your alcohol. Get rid of your wine. And she says, no, 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 don't think badly of me. I'm brokenhearted. I'm beside myself. I am crying out to God. And something interesting happens here. We see that sometimes our struggle teaches us about God. Hannah cries out to the Lord Almighty. No other gods. No, you know, She knows he's mightier than idols. He's the Lord above all. The only Lord. That's the first time this name for God is used in the Bible. This woman speaks it. She calls out to the Lord Almighty. Lord Almighty. Lord greater than everyone else. Hannah, in her desperation, in her struggle, has learned something about God. No other God, no other idol, no other being is going to be able to do what I need done. Yahweh, Lord Almighty, please hear my prayer. Even Eli, the old priest, when he speaks of God, when he talks to her, he talks about the generic God of Israel. He doesn't use Lord Almighty. This is something that Hannah says. Sometimes the struggle teaches us something about God. Teaches about something who He is and who His nature is. But sometimes the struggle teaches us more than a lesson. Sometimes our encounter with God can change our outlook. You know what changed in this encounter? Eli didn't prophesy. He didn't say to Hannah, well, by this time next year, you're going to be pregnant. He didn't assure her that, that she was going to get what she wanted. Eli said, well, then have peace and may God grant your prayer. That's all he said. He didn't say anything else. There was no big proclamation you're going to get what you want. He simply said, have peace. What changed was her encounter with God and how she encountered God. When she laid herself bare, she poured out her heart to the Lord Almighty and she was changed. Her soul was changed. What was in her changed? It says she came back happy. 
She came back with hope. She came back with faith. The woman of grace found grace at the feet of God. Do we get her name now? Hannah, woman of grace. She found grace at the feet of God. She found grace when she went to the Lord Almighty and He changed who she was inside. He didn't just give her her gift. He changed her before the gift ever came. He changed her before her prayer was ever answered. He changed her. He changed her inside. He changed who she was. He changed her countenance. He changed her attitude. He changed her outlook. He changed everything. Our encounter with God can change our outlook. The woman of grace found grace there. Eli did not give her hope. He was senile. The man was losing it. He had two sons who were abusing the country. He didn't give her hope. The encounter with God gave her hope, and it changed who she was. You know, our world needs to needs the church to lay herself bare. We need to learn to lay ourselves bare before God. Our life, our church, our town, our nation. We need to lay ourselves bare before God and say, God, we don't know. God, we don't understand. God, we don't know what it is that we need to do. God, we know that we're lost. We know that we're in pain. We know that we're hurting. We know that there's so much more out there. And God, we need you to show us what it is. That's what needs to happen. We need to find ourselves going to God and saying, God, here we are, warts and all. Here we are, sin and all. Here we are, failures and all. We can't let fear of our failures being shown to us keep us from doing what God would have us to do. We can't let our fear of, of, of laying ourselves bare and things being found out keep us from being changed by an encounter with God. Because when we lay ourselves bare before God, God will change us. He will change our attitude. He will change our outlook. He will change the way that we interact with each other and with the world. And that is what we are looking for. You know, maybe today it's been a long time since you've had that kind of encounter with God. Maybe today it's been a long time since you've said, Okay, God, here I am. Warts, sin, everything. Here I am, laid bare before you, God, and I don't know. When's the last time you cried out like that? When's the last time you gave God that kind of, of, of cry and said, God, I need you. I need you to show me. I need you to, I need you to change me. Here's the deal. I had a woman ask me one time, and she was much, she's much older than me. She'd been in church a lot longer than I had, and she said, Brother Troy, sometimes I just don't know why we pray. Because we pray, and the same, we don't seem to get the answers that we want, even though Jesus seems to say we're going to get that. And my response was, I don't think prayer is really about us getting what we want. Prayer is about God changing who we are. What we learn from Hannah is when we lay ourselves bare before God and pray to Him and cry out to Him, She'll change our vision. Of, he'll change our vision of him. He'll change our vision of us. He'll change our vision of the world. Maybe today you've been like Hannah. Maybe you've been struggling with something. You need something to happen. You need some big something. You need something to be different. And say, okay, here I am. God, hear my cry. Maybe you want something to change. Are you willing to let God change you? Maybe today you have something else. I don't know what it would be. Maybe today you don't know God. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. And I'm going to pray now. And I want you to pray with me. 
But if you have a need today, give it to him right now. Father God, we come here right now and we thank you and we praise you. Father, we ask right now that you would be with us, Father. Show us where we need to change, Father. Change who we are and give us a new attitude and a new heart. Father, if anyone does not know you, I pray that they would pray with me now. Father, I am a sinner. Father, I need a Savior. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and be my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for all you do. And all God's people said, amen. Guys, I love you. I can't wait till we're together again, I hope. If you've made a decision today, let me know so I can be praying with you. But guys, press into God this week. Let God know that he can change us. And when he changes us, he can use us to change the world. Guys, I love you. I can't wait till we get back together again. But until next time, love each other deeply from the heart. Have a blessed week this week.